Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today with Mercedes Schlapp, senior fellow for CPAC and a former senior advisor to former President Donald Trump. Mercedes, so good to have you on. Lauren, it's so great to be momming with you. This is so fun. Because you have five children and not just like five kids, five girls, which five to girls. me is intimidating because that's a lot of yeah. attitude. <laughs> well, first of all, I always thought I was going to have a boy and we always had the boy name picked out. Which was uh, what? It was Thomas Spencer, named after Matt's grandfather, who was very beloved and a very big personality. And so even with my first child, we painted the nursery blue because we never found out if we were going to have a boy or girl. And I was like, wait a second here. I am such a boy mom. I love sports. You know, I totally can handle the boy thing. I'm not sure how it's going to go with the girls. Well, God had other plans. And then we had one girl after the other by girl number five. I finally was like, okay, Matt, we need to find out the gender because I'm going to go crazy. So you didn't find every, your first four children, the gender was a surprise. surprise. Yes, always. And even Schlapp would say every time we, you know, we were expecting, he'd be like, you know, it's just going to be another girl, right? And so that's how how we just planned it. So then I got organized and I was like, I better pick out the girl names, you know, ahead of time because that wasn't happening beforehand. Wow. So we got we got organized by kid number two, which is good. Well, I mean, do people comment? Wow, you have five kids. Is that something you hear a lot? Because let's face it, it's not very common these days. Most people have two kids. Yeah. You know, I actually feel like I have I, I feel that. I wish people and families could understand that big families are beautiful. You know, I think what you learn and what even my five girls have taught me have been that they take care of each other. It is a a really a beautiful uh, dynamics, a beautiful relationship. You know, I would say that my oldest started learning how to change diapers by the age of six and really learned so much responsibility and watching her grow now, you know, she's in, in finished her first year in college. She's become kind of like the mother hand of her friend group. And so she's the one that's looking out and responsible many times for her friends. And so I think it really uh, is something that we've been so blessed to have so many kids. And, you know, for us, the goal and the focus for our family is really our faith. And we're very grounded in our faith. Um, And especially when you're seeing you know, the world around you kind of just in a very confusing, confusing and chaotic stage uh, in in their lives. And really, it's about building strong children uh, who understand the beauty of their values and the beauty of their faith and live out their faith. And I think, you know, it's not perfect, of course. And, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of hiccups and there's like you said, sometimes attitude or, you know, the drama, I love to call it like the girl drama, but, um, you know, part of it is making sure that as a parent, you stay connected with each and every one of your children, understanding that each of each child 
is created differently and has different talents and different skills and a different purpose in their lives. And it's really how do you nurture them so that they're able to live their fullest potential? Okay, so how? <laughs> and, and, and I'll give you I'll give you the backdrop on this. So I, I have two girls and a boy. So the, the baby is a girl. I don't know what her personality is going to be yet. But the difference between my my oldest daughter, who's six and a half, and my son, who's four, is that I I have to perform mental gymnastics to <laughs> deal with my daughter. My son, he has his tantrums. He's no angel, but he's he's pretty straightforward. Yeah. My daughter's not. So that's why when I hear five girls, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, that, that's my reaction. For me, girls have been harder than than my one son. But yes, every child <laughs> is different. Um, I was talking to one of my friends recently. She is a teacher in a, in one of the schools near us in New Jersey. And we were talking about violence in schools and, and the shootings. Mm-hmm. And her answer surprised me. She goes, you know what it is? It's on the parents because they're either busy at work or busy on their own phones and they're not nurturing and watching their children the way they should be. And that resonated a little bit. And you were talking about values and what it takes to raise a family. Um, How would you respond to her comment? Well, you know, I think the COVID lockdown taught all of us these really amazing lessons in life, which is it forced us to be stuck in a room with, uh, you know, our family members day in and day out. And, and it was during a very stressful time. And I remember that, you know, I was working at the Trump campaign at the time. So imagine I'm working for the Trump campaign and then the school, they're doing all online school, which was of course a complete disaster. So then I had like five different stations, you know, where the kids would be working on on their schoolwork, trying to pay attention. And believe me, I mean, your, your kids are still young, but when you have a eight year old trying to look at a screen for five, six, seven hours, it's a disaster. On top of that, then we build out two studios. I'm not kidding you where we were doing our TV hits and would have some of the, the campaign staffers have to come over because there was no place to go. I mean, it was literally just this ball of stress, stress happening in my house every single day. Uh, but what it did teach me and what it did teach us is that it's so important for the children, especially our young children who are exposed to so much at such a young age, because, you know, many of the parents allow for social media at a, at a, at a younger age. I don't, but they, they do, or they give them phones at a young age, or they're on the iPad at a young age and really being able to say, wait a second here. No, I have to be in control of what my children are watching. And if they watch something that we is questionable or inappropriate, that we address it immediately. Um, and the other piece of this is that you do need to have that structure in the household. There's something to be said about having, you know, two parents in the household, or if you're, even if you're a single mom or a single dad, that you are spending that quality time asking those really important questions. Because what we have seen is so much of this violence is stemming from the unstable family household, from the fact that these kids have felt bullied, from the fact that these kids are are attached to their devices and on social media, that's literally shaping what they think and how they act. And so it's important to have, I mean, it's why we need to be fostering these healthy family structures, these healthy family environments in our country uh, where the child doesn't feel that they're alone or they're isolated or that they're hated, or that they start having these suicidal thoughts. And just think about it. 
the COVID pandemic and the failure of these teachers unions and these schools have led to so many of these children in a situation where they've thought about committing suicide, they've committed suicide, or they've uh, acted on a violent, you know, in a violent way. And that is, I think, one of the biggest crises that our country and our families are facing today. And in many cases, it's happening under the parents' watch, which is disconcerting. Uh, we're going to be right back with We're Mommy Today, Mercedes Schlapp, in just a minute. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're back on We're Momming today. Mercedes, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, I, I fear, you, you can speak to this, I can't. I, I fear those teenage years, those preteen years, when you see your child develop and maybe be influenced by other forces and go on social media. Um, because a lot can happen. And, you know, you have to be savvy. You have to be internet savvy, social media savvy. Uh, you have to be a little bit of a helicopter parent. You got to instill a little bit of fear in your kids that, you know, what they do has repercussions. Both you can punish them and, you know, other people can get hurt. Um, and it's daunting for me. How do you do mm. it? <laughs> you know, I think what we try to do is we make sure there's no, um, like, my girls don't have any TVs in their rooms, okay. right? We have like one TV down in the family room, which we barely turn on now. That's also a new thing that came from the COVID lockdown, which was we ended up spending more time reading books together and they would read the classics and, you know, or we would pray together and, or we would have conversations or we would play games or, you know, like board games and, you know, or we would watch a, mo a family movie. And the key was, is, to be together as a family unit and uh, and being able, and look, you know this, Lauren, I mean, I work, Matt works, we work all the time. Well, the, now like, is we my, could be a, now is my pushback. devices all our time. Yeah. And let me tell you, sometimes it's the kids that tell us, knock it off. Like, I'll never forget, we went on this family vacation several years ago. This was actually right before the 2016 election, which I don't even know how we squeezed in a vacation. And the girls told us, they're like, we are not talking politics and you are not going to be on your phone. Like they gave us a restricted time because they know that their parents have to work hard. I mean, we all are in this business of, you know, like just having to be on call all the time. But at the same time, we also have to know as parents that we have to be good examples to disconnect, you know, and again, like the formula is not perfect. Like you're literally figuring this out day in and day out. And part of it is making sure that you are physically there, uh, emotionally present. And I have to say, as a parent, the one skill I've learned the best, and although I'm a talker, is that you got to listen. And when you listen, you catch so much of what their emotional state of mind is. And that really helps you to give advice when they need it. Sometimes they just want you to be there and say, that just stinks, honey. And you know what? Like, we're going to get through this. Because if they know they have that emotional support, it goes a long way. And I will tell you, for us, our girls go to Catholic school. Um, you know, we were raised Catholic. I really do believe that if you're able to raise them with a strong faith foundation where they love God, where they love to learn how to love each other, uh, that in and of itself, I think, sets them up to face the difficult challenges 
in that they could face in their lives or the difficult challenges that we're facing in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm glad you <laughs> addressed the fact that um, while you encourage reading and talking and praying and watching movies with your with your family, uh, you were also a top advisor to the president of the United States. <laughs> I just I don't know. I just can't see Mercedes and Matt sitting in a room together, you know, watching a movie with their kids. I, I just can't because you're so busy. Well, Matt's more the movie watcher than I am. <laughs> well, I'm a little more impatient. I'm more of a, let me make dinner and you guys can sit. Look, I will tell you, during the time of the White House, it was it was a very challenging time for our family. And one of the things that we talked about early on was, my, my husband and I talked about this with the kids. It's like, this is a sacrifice that mom is going to make to serve the American people. And that was really the message that we talked about. And it was hard for them. Think about it. They would read negative story. They still do about their parents. You know, the media would go after us uh, and they had to be strong. And so part of it was, you know, it was a very difficult time, but what I learned and what I, uh, through that process was that, and I felt very drained by the time I would get home. God only knows I would end up going upstairs, putting the little girls to sleep and I would fall asleep in their bed because I was so exhausted. But two things, one is that uh, Matt really stepped up and, and really became kind of that rock and that center for the kids where he you know would do what he would need to do um, to make sure the kids were in a good place. And you know, secondly, I had a great group of mom friends who knew that I worked a lot, knew that I was stressed out and they stepped in too. And they helped with carpools and, you know, picking the kids up from sports. And, you know, and the other piece of this was the great mommy community I had at the White House with Kellyanne Conway, Sarah Sanders, you know, Ivanka Trump. And we would sit around the room, we'd be in the room making these major policy decisions, giving advice to the president. And between us, we'd had 19 kids. The phones were usually, you know, ringing off the hook. We'd had to be like picking them up and be like, okay, I got to step out of this meeting. It was, it, it was a chaotic time. But at the same time, I think my daughters, uh, and I've asked them this, and I've asked them, I've said, what, what do you, you know, how do you think in terms of what your mom did for President Trump and that work? And they're very proud of the work that I've done. And I think I've been I've tried to be a good example. And they view me as an example of a woman who can raise a family the best I can, uh, not alone, obviously, with my husband by my side and and also uh, have, you know, a very a stressful job and and really be able to do good work for America. And I think they've learned that you can do it. Um, it. It takes sacrifice, but it takes a great support system to be able to get it done. How does being a mother, how did that impact? I'm sure it still does, but specifically, how did that impact your time um, with the White House? Uh, you know, it was very challenging because we would have to get in before we started our days between seven and eight o'clock in the morning. And we ended our days at seven or eight o'clock at night. And my poor high school kid who goes to school and went to school in, in D.C., in Georgetown, she literally would have to take a bus to meet me at the White House because she didn't have a ride home at the time. She was like a freshman in high school. And so she would like meet up with me and then we'd leave from there. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't spend a lot of quality time with the kids. It was very much, um, you know, it was very short moments because I would have to work so much. But what I did do, and at the time it was, uh, the chief of staff was General Kelly. I really made it a point to them that I set my boundaries. So my boundaries were trying to get out of there by seven o'clock at night, if I could. My boundaries were, I wasn't really going to do a lot of the international travel um, because I didn't want to really be away 
from them. And then I would try to preserve my weekends. It didn't mean I was, I was on the phone a ton during the weekends, but I really tried during the weekends to preserve my time, to go to events with the kids, to go to their uh, sports and really be present there. Um, but I will tell you, it was two years over two years of just uh, really juggling a lot um, of the family and the um, and the work. I will say that it's when you see your children also the older girls step up and step in to help with the little girls and make sure their homework would get done and make sure they were studying for tests. And so they would get their own schoolwork done and then turn around and help their, their little sisters. And so that to me was really, it was truly a family affair to be able to get through those several years at the white house. That, I mean, it sounds wonderful. And I'm just thinking, wow, you never had any time for yourself. <laughs> no, that is the one thing Lauren, <laughs> because you're turned you on, don't. on the weekends. Like you yeah, have to make up for yeah. what you missed during the week, or at least yeah. this is how I feel sometimes, you know, I might've been a little MIA this week at home because I was in the office so much. So the weekend comes and it's like, okay, you got mommy from the minute yeah. you open your eyes <laughs> to the minute you close them. But then there's, you know, no time left for well, that was a problem, right? That's why I would I would say that that was like the White House. You know how they say the freshman 15? I call it the White House 15. I think I gained a ton of weight because I didn't have time for myself and there really wasn't. And and you know what you what you do know is that when you go into these political jobs, you know that it's not going to be forever. You know that it's a finite period of time. And uh, and that's how you you get through it. And really, it was through a lot of prayer. Again, I think by just centering my day, starting my day with prayer and saying, OK, Lord, you know, I'm going to do this for your glory. And, you know, please protect my family and let me stay calm and not be stressed out. And, you know, part of it is you really do then um, by centering yourself you're able to get through what you have to get done and then, you know, get home and do the best you can. It's not going to be perfect. And that's the one thing you can't go in there. You know, you meet all these parents that are like, Oh, my kid's so perfect. And you know, it's great athlete, great scholar, all of this. And you're just going, it's not all perfect. You know, it is, it's going to be messy and it's okay, you know, and it's okay to know that you're not going to be the perfect mom all the time. And, uh, and, but what you want to do is encourage your kids to find their calling and their purpose. So my oldest, who's been literally staffing my husband at CPAC since she was 12 years old, she was the one that would go over to the white house. So she was with me at, you know, some of these, uh, stressful moments, you know, I asked her like, what are you going to study for college? She's like, definitely not political science. Oh, (laughs) I was going to bet that. Okay. So what is it? I was going to bet she was going to do polycom. No, she's well, she's studying uh, this program. uh, It's a liberal studies program, uh, but she's uh, then honing in on constitutional studies and theology. But she's so funny. I think it's because she's been around politics her whole entire life that she's like, I just kind of need a break from you people. From you people. Yes, exactly. So (laughs) did you ever say to President Trump, I can't do that because I have to uh, I have to attend to my daughter's whatever? Uh, no, not directly. I think I would, you know, you don't really have, I mean, you know, he's, he was actually really wonderful cool about it. With. I'd imagine he'd no, be cool No, I would about say it. like, he's so great. Like he, you know, he, one thing that I always respected from him is that it, his women advisors were, he turned to them constantly and he huh. really wanted to know your opinion. And I Why? loved that about him. Why for the females? Oh, he, he has a, un- I think he has a unique um, he has a unique way about him as a, as a politician. So politicians normally, and I've worked for two presidents. I worked for president George W. Bush. And then I worked for president Trump at the white house. And, you know, normally politicians like just tell you what you got to do and get done. This is a president that actually like asked questions, 
listens int- very intently, and then he processes all the information, and then he makes a decision. And it's just so refreshing. And for whatever reason, I can't even tell you, unless Larry Kudlow was in the room, which of course he adored, he, you know, he would turn to Larry and then he would turn to like Kellyanne and me and Sarah and really want us to engage him in what, you know, whatever the political analysis would be or the legislative analysis would be. And and I got to tell you, with so many of these top White House uh, advisors who were women. I mean, I think about, uh, well, you know, like the legislative director was a woman, Ivanka Trump. Uh, we had Brooke Rollins, who was running the Domestic Policy Council. I mean, it was a powerhouse of these very dynamic uh, moms. And I think he just likes the nurturing, you know, not that, you know, the tough yet nurturing nature. And the fact that we were so honest, like I would go into the White House, Lauren, and be like, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? They're going to fire me. Like that was always my line every day. I'm like, what's the worst thing? I'm like, I can, I'll go back to my five kids. I'll figure it out. Like, but I knew that I had to give him the best advice, the most frank advice um, that I can, so, and direct advice that I can give him. The, give me an example of some advice that you gave that he listened to. Uh, well, there were several. I mean, I one of the ones that I recall was there was a discussion about whether to stop uh, fetal research, fetal fetal t- tissue research, and it w- it was very much a contentious conversation happening in the Oval Office. Actually, Larry Kudlow was there. Kellyanne was there as well. We had several fo- folks from HHS from the Health and Human Services Department attending, and so we walked through the whole. The, you know, the whole argument, you know, obviously HHS was making their argument. Then he turned to us and he turned to me and to Larry and basically said, what are, you know, what are you hearing? What should we do? And I said, look, when we don't need this fetal tissue research, you know, at this point, there's other ways to do this research. Um, and we also talked about, you know, how the pro-life community is very against this fetal tissue research. And so what do we need to do to, you know, they, they've been very supportive of President Trump. And so to do this would be very, would be a backlash. It would hurt all the progress we've made for the pro-life movement. And, uh, and he really listened to both sides. And, he ended up looking at Larry and myself and Kellyanne, and he said, you know, I, I'm going to go with them. I think this is the right direction. I think we shouldn't do this. And uh, and, you know, so that was like one of one of the successes, many successes we had. But I would say it's a success for, you know, the country. And so I think for us, what I liked is he would bring the two different opinion, you know, uh, different opinions in. And that's how he and then he would really analyze and allow everyone to speak and then make a decision at the end. And so I just think that that's how we should do more of government, you know, and how we should lead as as a country. I see how Congress right now is so divided and how they cannot find hardly any middle ground. And I'm like, you know, I just even think about Biden and inflation surging and the gas prices up. I'm like, why hasn't Biden invited Republicans to come into the Oval Office and say, how can we work together to solve these problems? Mercedes, Republican women, I I hate to be gendered here, but, you know, someone recently, a man, showed me a picture of um, what what he bought at the food store and said, guess how much this was? And I did. And I I guessed exactly how much it cost. And I did that because I'm always food shopping. My husband doesn't go food shopping. Right. He wouldn't no. know. So it's that <laughs> I think women are in general, this is going to be controversial, but more in touch with a lot of everyday people issues, family issues, because we're in charge Ooh, of it. I love that. We're in charge no, of I it. Lo- yeah. 
I agree. And you know what I think, too? I think, you know, it's funny because one of my dearest friends is a, is a Democrat and we adore like we love each other, like her, her daughter and my little one are super good friends. And I bought her. So I was we were at Mount Vernon at a field trip with the girls and I saw this little kitchen towel and it said, which party do you prefer? And then it had Republican Democrat and then cocktail. And then it had the cocktail checked, you know, check, check mark. So I was like, Sherwood, this is for you. I mean, we're about the cocktail party. Okay. Like we put the politics aside and I would love to see a place and look, don't get me wrong. I did, you know, this, I debate a lot, debate the, the folks on the left really stand strong on my principles, but I do believe that women now and moms really we are more, I feel like we are more in touch. I feel like we talk to so many of these other moms who are not politically involved or not involved in the media like you are, and that you're able to engage in these really interesting conversations about how you can come up with solutions. And that's not happening here in Washington. And it's really frustrating to watch that they cannot you know, that it's, we can keep criticizing each other, but unless we start coming together to say, okay, where can we make a little bit of movement in the right direction? Uh, that's not happening. And I, and I do think that when it comes to our communities of mommies, we end up tr- solving, like trying to solve the world's problems all the time. Is, is There are more moms running for Congress now more than ever. Is that correct? I You know, I'd be curious to see that. I know there's definitely a lot of women running for Congress. And it's actually really refreshing to watch a lot of Republican women running for office as well. I mean, we saw what happened down in Texas with Mike Tip Flores. Um, you know, we I know we have a wonderful women candidates who have stepped up and started running. And I'll tell you a really inspirational story. So obviously, Matt and I do CPAC. Uh, now we do it twice a year. We're also doing a ton of international CPACs, which uh, there was just one in CPAC Hungary. We're doing, they just did CPAC Brazil. We're heading to CPAC Israel. And I will tell you that uh, there was one woman uh, who has attended CPAC. I've gotten to know her well, Olivia. She's a single mom, really amazing. And she just learned so much from the CPAC conference and how to get involved and how to stand up. And what do you need to do to run for office? And she ran for her, the local school board in her district, which is mostly left, you know, center left. And she won. And so those are the inspirational stories that you see. It's that I've talked to so many women as I've traveled across the country who have said, yeah, I'm running for state rep. I'm a mom of four. I'm running for state senator. I'm, you know, I'm running for city council. They are unafraid. And I will tell you, it is because we have seen the rise of the parents They are no longer going to be silent. They're going to push back and they have continued to push back against these the public schools who are pushing these that are pushing this radical agenda of gender confusion, of uh, critical race theory. And they have woken up and I and they are a force to be reckoned with. And it is why, you know, I get inspired all the time when I meet these parents. I mean, I went over to the National School Board Association when they you know, basically said that parents were domestic violence, uh, by, terrorists. Uh, d- domestic terrorists. And uh, and listening to these mothers, Lauren, I, I, I started I cried with them like they tell they would tell their stories. Their hands would hold the paper and shake Aww. while they told the stories of how their child 
was being asked very inappropriate questions about their sexuality, about how they were pushing these very uh, pornographic books in the schools and how these kids were being taught critical uh, race theory. I hear that all the time. We're, we have I'm going to a school board meeting uh, in two weeks about this very issue to find out what our what our local school is doing, because you hear the stories and um it's eye popping, actually. No, it's it's, and you know what? And that's the thing. Like we are entrusting our children to these schools. We, you know, we want them to learn the the highest level math, the highest level reading, science, social studies, and and what we're now dealing with is that it's all become about let's talk about the transgender agenda and let's confuse you at the age of five, and and that is not the place of the school. It is up to the parents to decide when they want to talk about the birds and the bees and when they want to talk about like when you're dealing with these issues about sexuality. It is not in any way the schools, the these teachers, they have no right, well, no right to to influence these children. My daughter had her dance recital last weekend, so I was putting makeup on her in the uh, in the bathroom and my four year old son walks in and he starts putting on makeup. I'm fine with it, whatever he's for. Um, But, you know, it just wasn't the time or place to put on makeup. We were in a rush, you know. So I'm like, MJ, not now. Please, honey. Later, insisted he put on makeup. His whole face is like bright red. And my daughter goes to me, "Um, Mom, uh, he can do anything he wants as long as it makes him happy. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, it just, I just started thinking of all these complex issues yeah. of, of gender yeah. and sexual identity and what I was encouraging or not encouraging. And I just looked at them. I'm like, they have no idea. He has no, no idea what putting on makeup or wearing high heels or princess dress of his sisters means at, at four years old. And right. my daughter's answer that he can do whatever he wants. She also has no idea because she's six. And I was just, yeah. just like these conversations. Could you imagine teaching kids that age about these issues? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's not the place I, you know, I think that it's really important that we stress that, you know, we have to understand where the, 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 the transgender agenda is going, which is they want a future of no gender. And so they want to be able to say, if you are born, you know, a girl, like the doctor kind of put it there, but it doesn't mean that you are necessarily a girl. So it, it, and for, you know, I really believe that it's up to the parents to make sure that they explain, look, God created you a boy. God created you a girl. Let me say, let me tell you something. If you're 18, 19 years old, if you're an adult and you want to do what you want to do, go for it, but don't touch the kids. And that's the part where I think parents are like, really, really emphasizing the fact that they don't want this issue of sexuality dominate, dominating the discussions. And it creates a ton of confusion uh, for these children, like you were mentioning, where they're coming up, you know, the six-year-old is coming up with their own truths. And we have to explain, well, this is the truth. There's a boy and there's a girl. You were born a boy, you're a boy. Like if you were born a girl, you were a girl. And and it's funny because talking to one of my dear friends, you know, she, you know, they do all the pronouns that she, he on, at this other, at this school that she's sending her daughter to. And she's like, well, Mercy, this is where the world is going. So we just need to go with where the world is going. And I was like, no, we cannot, because it is a minority of people who are dictating what the majority is supposed to do. It's like using the word Latinx as a Latina. That is the biggest insult for our Hispanic, beautiful 
culture. Okay. The Spanish language, as you studied it, it, it has feminine and masculine. This idea of introducing this new word as the woke word of explaining the Latin Latino community, it is such an insult. And it's why you're seeing more and more Hispanics reject the woke culture and they don't want to be part of it because we didn't grow up that way and we're not and and we're not going to have it being forced down our throats and that's exactly what the democrats are doing and the leftists are doing which is to change our language to destroy our institutions to transform america and and really to dictate what our kids are so the the basically the morality of our children and and, and that is why i think you're seeing this enormous swell of individuals rejecting the Democrats and rejecting the leftist agenda. Mercedes, so great to catch up with you. This was um, great. We should do it at our cocktail. We have I'll we sh- a cocktail party. <laughs> we should get together. Maybe you can help me decide on on who a group of women who Ooh, I love it, who can just kind of go on and on. Oh, um, goodness. There's certain It'll people start that with you and me <laughs> that that resonate. And you're you're definitely you're definitely one of them. We appreciate the time. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for your time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.